the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Al Fadi, and uh, I want to welcome you back uh, to a continuation of our previous uh, episode about the pilgrimage, the Islamic ritual, which is the fifth pillar of Islam. And we were really showing, uh, basically, that almost every single step up to the end of that episode that we have discussed, even though I grew up believing that it was Islamic, it actually does have a precedence to it, meaning like it was borrowed from another location. Most of the time, uh, you can make the case that it came from Jerusalem, even if you discover that similar things can exist or did exist in Petra. So, as a result of this, I would like for us today, myself and Dr. J, to continue this discussion because we still have a few more steps and few more parts of that particular important ritual that um, does have some troubling also precedence. And also some of the activities involved are, in my humble opinion, are paganistic or in, involve an act of idolatry. What do I mean by that? Well, let's uh, turn to uh, Dr. J and continue with our discussion. Dr. J, welcome back. And last time we did talk about the uh, journey, uh, you know, that supposedly Abraham took uh, to uh, slaughter or sacrifice his son and how I grew up believing that Satan appeared to him. And as a result of this, he was stoning Satan. And now we have this ritual in Mina, that's the area, after the day on Arafat, the next day, you basically slaughter uh, a, uh, an animal as a, um, you know, to commemorate this act. And then you go to Mina or Mizdelifa and uh, you start throwing stones and you can do this for three days to commemorate what Abraham did with Satan. Okay, so it was fascinating because even the sacrifice itself, what's the precedence for that? That's Abraham. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see when the whole sacrificial system was inaugurated uh, there when God, God had Abraham kill three birds and three animals, split them up, put them on a rock, and supposed, both parties were supposed to walk through. Only one party walked through. That was God himself. He put Abraham to sleep. So that's the whole antecedent to the sacrificial system. Muslims don't even, are not even aware of that. And that's why we need to help them understand that this sacrifice that they're performing every time at Eid, it's already been done. There's nothing you can do about it. It's God that can do this sacrifice. Amen. And I think you were talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham the in covenant Genesis Abraham. 15. Yeah, because his sacrifice test came at a later time, but that was part of that covenant that God made with him. So now let's get back to this problem of the Jamarats, because the Jamarats is where you are throwing 49 
pebbles or stones. And there was always one pillar where parents would always talked about having one pillar there. Um, well, they never shared that with me. But if you go to images, when uh, just all ask them, are your parents still living? Uh, well, only my mother. Uh, my father. Has well, ask your away. uncles or anybody else that's older than 1980. Yeah. Prior to 1980, it was always one pillar. If you look at all the pictures, it's always been one pillar, and they would all be throwing stones at one pillar. And that was. And there are images that. And what was that. the narrative? What was the narrative for that? For one pillar. Again, it's just representing the act between Abraham. And Satan, one act. Yeah, but it could have, the idea it was done three days in a row. In yes, the, but yeah. Do you see the difference? Because yeah. it used, used to be one pillar. Now look at the picture that you see on the screen. How many pillars are there now? Three. And why are there three pillars? Representing the act of, no. over the three days, basically. No. No. It you does. The three but let me tell you why they did it. Because of crowd control. That's right. But the reason why they did three represented the three days. Okay. Do you see? Yeah. Now, even he yeah. is hoodwinked on this. Even you are now mimicking what they're saying. Because they've got to come up with a story to make, to make understanding the But the point the I'm making, they did three to represent the three days. They could have done five. Prior to, to 1980? What I'm saying now, they have three. Why didn't they do five if they want to control crowd? <laughs> because you can see, see, this is, you're just making my point, and this is the beauty of it. The narrative has now changed that even you believe it has always been three. Ask your parents if it was three, if it was three days. You're not getting the point. It is done to represent the three days narrative, even though it is now. That's why they did it now, in this time, three. Before it was one, still done in three days. Okay. Go up and see if, if, even, if even the scholars agree with what you've just said. Because even the scholars say that this is actually three different times that the Satan came to seduce right. Abraham. So that's why they now have three different Jamarats. But interestingly, before 1980, they only had one Jamarat. They had to change the narrative to fit the three. And the reason they had to add the other two was because there were so many millions of people oh, there's coming. there a lot of people. They were throwing stones on each other. People were dying. And they had to control it. So they built this structure with three pillars to accommodate inside different levels now. So now the stones don't hit anybody. And they have it's nets to capture the stone and everything else. But how the narrative has changed since 1980 is what I'm trying to get at. That's what's fascinating to me. Yeah. If they're changing it in our lifetime, why are we surprised that the Abbasids didn't change yeah. it from the Abbasids point? Exactly. There is always an evolution or progressive explanations or interpretation. That's what David Wood says, right? The, the, the miracle of reinterpretation. It comes over and over yeah. again. It's yeah. out of convenience. Yeah. Here's the image that Gibson puts up in Petra. There is the one pillar that's in Petra uh, that was the antecedent to that. Now, I want to go to the Zumzum well because we did a whole uh, talk on the Zumzum well. Remember the Zumzum well? There's a picture of it. It's right. not very big, is it? It's only about, what, 30 feet across? I mean, barely. I mean, at, the, at, the, at the top. But at the bottom, it's just a few meters across. Yeah. And, and today, by the way, you can't see this anymore because they have covered it. You know, you can get close and take a peek, but it's no longer like this. I mean, they have definitely expanded the area. There are piping coming in, like, you know, we talked about. Pipes coming before. in, pipes going out. Right. All those pipes, as we found out, are coming from your city, from Jeddah. And they even perfume it on the way. They have a filtration plant where they add this uh, sweetness to the water so it tastes different than all other water. Uh, but it's all desalinated water that comes from the Red Sea. That's to accommodate the millions that need it today. Right. But they still tell you 
They still tell you in that famous comic, what's his name? Um, start to see, I can't remember his name all the time, when he was on the David Letterman uh, interview. He said very clearly, and he's a Muslim, that God has provided this so all Muslims can have it. It's, it's from God that it is, it'll never run out. God is the only one that is able to do, keep the Zamzam well from always, always supplying the, the, the needs for all of Islam, for all two billion worth of people. Well, the, he little did he know when he said that, that it had nothing to do with God. It had to do with the Bechtel Corporation that actually supply, created those desalination plants that supplies the water to this Zamzam well. What's interesting is when you look farther, you can find that the well that they're referring to is actually in Petra, and it looks like that the antecedent to that in Jerusalem would be the Pool of Siloam, that that was where this, was, this, this started, this whole practice. And the reason for that is at the sacrifices that were happening up in the temple, the blood would then seep down, they would have it sleep down through cracks that then made its way down, need to be purified. And so that, even the practice, even the idea of the Zamzam well, this idea of it's being purified, purified or purified water comes from Jerusalem as well. What I want to do, and this is where I, we want to spend most of my time, is this object. Uh, you recognize it right away. Right. What is it? What That's the black at? stone. That's the black stone. It doesn't look black to me. It looks silver. Uh, yeah, the encasement. And in fact, even uh, the area that in the middle, people think that's the black stone. It's actually just pieces. It's pebbles. Yeah. It's actually broken up. Exactly. Eight. I think it's eight pieces. So they're very small. They're about the size of coins. It didn't used to be black. It used to be another color, didn't it? Well, I mean, traditionally speaking, uh, it was white, whiter than snow, and turned black because of the sin of man. Because of the sin of man. Okay, explain that. What does that suggest to you? Well, it suggests to me that uh, all men are sinners, uh, which goes against the teaching of Islam. Okay, but what does it mean that this turned black? What is it doing that it's performing a function? Ah, it's pro- taken away your sin. Oh, yeah. that's true. Now, who can yeah. take away your sin? Uh, the real rock, Jesus Christ. So only God is able to do that. Amen. So what has the black stone become? In- that's the satanic way of replacing the true gospel with the fake one. Or the Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. What is the statement of faith in Islam? La ilaha illallah. What's that mean? There is no God but Allah. Okay, so there's only one that can forgive, that can forgive your sins, right? Allah is the only one that can mm-hmm. forgive your sins. Well, then what is a black stone forgiving your sins doing? See, that's, uh, that's why I mentioned this before to you, that these are the rocks of Islam. These are the rocks of Islam that they put their faith on. But this one especially. Exactly. This is at the very center of Islam. This is where? Where is that located? At the corner of the Kaaba. It's the Kaaba, which is a stone itself as well. That's right. The Kaaba is a stone, and this stone on the eastern corner is where everybody... What do you do when you're going around Circa Mountain? What are you trying to do with that stone? What you want to look at the picture? Oh, what my goodness. Doing? People try to touch it at least, but they want to kiss it. They want to kiss it. Have you ever kissed it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you used to do it as a lark, didn't you? You would go on some yeah, of your buddies. Time, but it's, uh, sometimes it's not easy to get there, to be honest. You have they, to fight your way to get there. There, You have to fight your way, and they have yeah. guards there to keep the crowd moving because so many people want to get because they all want to be forgiven. But forgiven, how can you kiss a rock to be forgiven unless that is idolatrous? Because, I mean, you remember the story of Omar when he said, at least in the hadith, that I, if I didn't see the Prophet kiss you, I wouldn't have done so. 
<laughs> Talk about idolatry. Yeah. Talk about a contradiction of terms. Talk about the rocks that have replaced the, all this worship of rocks, rocks, rocks. You have the Kaaba is a rock. You have Mount Moriah is a rock. You have Arafat is a hill made of rocks. You have also the rocks that are throwing at the Jamarat, which is another pillar made out of rocks. You have the 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 Zumzum well. If you look at the, the all rocks that you make your way down into the center, and then you have the black stone. It is full of rocks. It is full of idolatry. The very thing that has been borrowed from Jerusalem has taken the, that which was pure and has I bastardized it, or you might say idolatrated it. And this is full of how Islam does. It takes that which is pure and it makes it impure. Amazing point. But that you can see. If this is all in Mecca, nothing is original. This is all borrowed. In fact, these are all facsimiles. It's almost like when you go to Las Vegas, you'll see a pyramid there, right? And you'll see the Sphinx there, and you'll see the Eiffel Tower. Those aren't the original Sphinx or the original Eiffel Tower. They are facsimiles. They built that out of a desert. You go to Dubai. Look at the the biggest skiing, indoor skiing uh, slope in the world, the tallest building in the world. These are nothing more than structures that have been built to like a Disneyland in the desert. Mecca is nothing more than a Disneyland in the desert. Yes, absolutely. And it saddens me, of course, uh, today uh, after having my life being enlightened, my mind being enlightened by the Holy Spirit to see uh, the obvious. We're talking rocks. (laughs) <laughs> Pure rocks. The irony is that Islam, I was told, like any Muslim, came to fight idolatry. Exactly. Yeah. To get away. That's jahiliyyah. That is exactly. Now, the next episode, and we're going to end this off. In the next episode, I want to go and pull it all together about Mecca. I want to show you what we now know about Mecca. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Al-Fadi, and I hope you're enjoying this uh, video series on the historical criticism of early Islam. Um, the last couple of videos, we talked about the pilgrimage, and we talked about some of these rituals, and I think we proved without a shadow of a doubt that almost every single step was borrowed from somewhere, and there is idolatry involved also almost at every step along the way. But today we're going to really put it all together and conclude things about Mecca. So that's why we call this the uh, six conclusions uh, about Mecca. And with me here uh, is our dear brother, uh, Dr. J. Dr. J, what do you mean by the six conclusions concerning Mecca? Well, let's go ahead and what I want to do is unpack what we have looked at. Bring it together make sense of it so that we can move on then to the Quran. So let's go ahead and go to our slide again. And uh, you can see there the six conclusions. What was the first thing that we looked at? Well, we looked at 
the whole problem of geography, and we noticed within this also would be the prophets, the prophets in geography, the whole vegetation, the enormous amount of reference after reference in both the Quran and also the tradition of a place that is in a valley, it's not in a valley, that has streams going through, there are no streams going through Mecca, there are no streams anywhere near Mecca, uh, it has fruit, it has clay, it has loam, it has olive trees, there are no olive trees anywhere that far south, they're all up in the Mediterranean world, and then it refers 23 times to these people from Ad. Well, Ad is Uz in the Bible. Where is Ad? It's way up in Nabatea. It's up near Petra. It talked 24 times about these people from Thamud. That is Nabataeans. The Thamudians are the Nabataeans, as we know it in the Bible. That's all around Jordan, 600 miles further north. And then seven times it refers to these people from Midian that this prophet has contact with, daily contact with. You can't have daily contact with people that are 600 miles further north. Obviously, there's something wrong. The, the geography that's in the Quran just does not make sense. And so Gibson and brought this up and he wrote a book on this chronic geography you can get it you can buy it uh, for $15 and PDF uh, you go up online and just put the chronic geography PDF and pay your $15 so to get it read it we then went into the maps and this is the material that was brought up by Dr. Patricia Corona uh, who reads and writes 15 languages and uh, she did a whole study in Hagarism and then Meccan trade and the rise of Islam in 1987 when it was published and she looked at these maps and we showed map after map after map which tried to uh, uh, cartograph what Ptolemy had said in the second century. They put into map form in the 1400s, 1500s, and 1600s. And we showed that every one of these maps, there was one glaring uh, one glaring thing that was missing, and that was Mecca. It was not on any of these maps. Ptolemy knew nothing about Mecca. So then we went and we talked about the Qibla, and we referred to Gibson's material again, his research on all these mosques that were built as far away as Guangzhou in China and Sherman in India, and you, you have mosques that are built in Turkey and in Jordan and in Syria, and especially in Israel, and they're all facing possibly Petra. And this is why there is a debate going on right now whether it's Petra or Jerusalem. I'm almost going with the Jerusalem. I think these are all facing Jerusalem, not Petra. They're so close together. There's just a hundred miles between those two. But cities. either way, I mean, it's damaging anyway. Either way, they're not facing Mecca. That's the important thing. It's enormously damaging. because And David, uh, Dr. David King, who, who is the world authority, disagreed with Gibson on this, and yet he could not come up with any response. We did a whole series, you and I, just right. shutting down and debunking David King. Uh, the man who had spent his whole life researching this and only went to one mosque to even look at it physically, did all the rest of his research in the libraries, reading 10th, 11th, and 12th medieval scholars who didn't themselves admitted they didn't know why these mosques were all, the kibbles were all hulta-pulta all over the place. He thought there were thousands of directions. Really, there's only four directions. And Gibson is the one that has solidified that, and we thank God for what Gibson has done. So we looked into that. But then we went into Patricia Crone's debunking of Montgomery Watt's trade route theory, the land route. You have to find some type of importance for Mecca. For it to be that law important, for it to have that type of monopoly, there needs to be something that was there to give it that monopoly. And uh, what Montgomery Watt said it had to do with the trade. The trade is what gave it its monopoly. And he said because of the shutdown of the Persian Gulf, the, the, the warring that was happening between the Sassanians and the Byzantines, they had to redirect the trade down to Aden, up to Najan, through Sana, uh, Sana, then to Najan, and then to Taif, down to Mecca, up to the Nyathrib, to Tabuk, Khaybar, and then on up to Gaza in the north. That was that 1,250-mile trade route. 
And of course, Montgomery Walk said that's why it was important. Patricia Crone comes around, looked at a map, says, you've got a problem. You have a detour to get down to Mecca. If you're up on a plateau, the Western Plateau, you have to go 3,000 feet down to get to Mecca, and then come 3,000 feet back up again to get to Yathrib. From Taif down 3,000 feet, and then up 3,000 to Yathrib. That doesn't make sense, especially if you've got a city that has no water and has no vegetation. If there's no water, there are no people. If there's no vegetation, there are no people. If there are no people, there are no towns, there are no cities. There are no cities, there are no civilizations, there's no history. And in with one fell swoop, she eradicated. Yeah, and, and it doesn't make sense to really to have camels basically walking on rocks. It, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, why why not on the plains of the desert? I mean, of the desert that are up above the plateau. So that makes sense. And we show those topographical maps. Remember them? We show exactly. Look at visually. See how far down Mecca is. Today, there's super highways that take you up and down. You don't even notice it. But not when there were camels. It would be a huge. Uh, a, a huge, arduous journey to go all the way down, all through the rocks, and then come all the way back up for no reason. There's nothing there. There's no history there. So we looked at the civilizations. And remember, we looked at all those civilizations that that were all surrounding all over. Not one of these people in these civilizations heard about this place called Mecca. Yet they were all in the east and the west and the north and the south. Almost a circle all around Mecca. None of them had heard of this place. And yet they were right next door. They were their neighbors. So that was curious. But Patricia Crone didn't go far enough. Remember, she said that the, the, the trade went up the Red Sea. That was the answer. It didn't go up the, the, the land route for a very good reason. It's, if you have a sea lane there, uh, it's so much cheaper to remain on sea. That made sense. So she showed and she said it went up the Red Sea, but she didn't realize what part of the Red Sea. So we did our own research, uh, uh, the Sin Sifters. And we came up and realized that if you look at the channels, the ancient channels where the boats went, you can see the map right there, those golden lines, that is where the old boats went. Not the red one, that's where the super tankers go today. The old ones that were pushed by, by wind, the sails and whatnot, they were on the left side. None of the channels are on the right side. Why are all the channels on the left side? Why would you say? Well, it appears that on the left side, uh, there is more uh, habitation, uh, civilization, things that... And why are, is there more habitation and civilization? I'm sure there is water and other water. things. It yeah. all comes down to water. One simple word. Water. you got to have water. Why is it you have all the great civilizations in Mesopotamia? Mesopotamia means between the two rivers. Mm-hmm. That's why all the great civilizations... The fertile... The crescent. fertile crescent. What makes it fertile? Water. Right. You have to have water. Where there is water, there is people. There is no water on the eastern side, on the eastern coast. If there's no water, there are no cities. There are no cities. There are no people. If there are no people, there is no civilization. If there's no civilization, there is no Mecca. And so we threw out Mecca just by looking, simply looking at maps and looking at history. And we looked at the five different cities along the western coast, starting with Agilis, coming all the way up, up through two in Eritrea, one in Sudan, and two in Egypt. And they're right there one day sailing uh, distance from each other. Th- that proved that this has been going on since the 3rd century BC. Mm-hmm. Nothing on the east coast showing that Mecca no longer was important. And then we ended off with the stages. Actually, there's five or six stages. Uh, uh, Gibson said five. I would say there's a sixth one, and you brought the sixth one up, and that's the sacrifice. We need to bring the sacrifice into that that narrative because the sacrifice is almost as important. If you want to look and see where the antecedent to the sacrifice is, that's Abraham. You need to go to Judaism again. You need to go to Mount Moriah. You need to go to Jerusalem because Mount Moriah is in Jerusalem. That's where the Temple Mount is, and that's where Abraham supposedly sacrificed. That's what most people think that Abraham sacrificed was 
going to sacrifice Isaac, not Ishmael. There is a huge talking point on that. But what really got me excited was the black stone. And where you met, admitted that you used to go that circumambulation seven times and you would make a zero into that black stone so you could kiss it so you could get your, uh, your sins absolved. What in the world is that doing at the very center of Islam? Idolatry is endemic to Islam. Yet Islam's whole statement of faith is against idolatry. Everything you hear Muslims say when they're attacking Jesus Christ, and they believe we're idolatrous for creating a, a man into a god. They believe we've done that. Look and see what they've done with the black stone. They have made one of the most idolatrous symbol of mankind, a rock, a, well, actually eight little stones, as a place to get your sins forgiven. And all the pilgrims want to go and kiss it. It's still there today. They have to keep it there today because they have no other, they have no other recourse. It's been there from, from the very beginning where the Kaaba was first built. So these are, if you look at every one of these, what you notice, conclusion, that though Mecca has existed, they, according to Islam, according to the standard Islamic narrative, from the time of Adam and Eve, we see that in chapter 7, verse 24, there is absolutely no evidence of it anywhere until 741. The city itself, there's no reference to it. It's not on any map. Actually, the first reference is 741. The first time it is even shown on a map is not till 900 A.D., that's the 10th century. And everything we now find in Mecca, we could previously find in Petra, and I mean before Petra, Jerusalem. It all traces its lineage back to Jerusalem, proving once again that all they have done is created nothing more than a Disneyland in the desert, a facsimile of different traditions that have been borrowed mainly from Jerusalem, mainly from the Jews, and recreated it in a facsimile form and a much more shutdown form totally illogical when you look and see where they put the two rocks or the two mountains right next to the Kaaba, where they put the Zamzam well right next to the Kaaba. These have to be miles away out in the desert, but they have to put them there so that they can do the rituals there. Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess uh, all we can say is that everything we have covered so far showed its origin somewhere else, whether it's borrowed, whether it's invented sometimes, or whether... Uh, it is basically uh, manipulated or even twisted, the story itself. Um, all of that uh, means that Islam is not original in any way. All it did, it just took parts and pieces from other places and just put it all together. That's why we're doing this for you. We're putting it all together to show you that that's what it's all about. Thank you, Dr. J. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, have a blessed day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.